This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 2. And as you're making your way there, let me echo what's already been said, I hope, multiple times to each of you moms here. Happy Mother's Day. J.C. Ryle, the Bishop of Liverpool, once said, where there is a praying mother, there is always hope. And there's a lot of hope in this room. And uh, we are thankful for the countless ways that uh, you moms love and nurture and care for and disciple your children. Thank you. We praise God for you. And we're also mindful of those who today grieve the loss of your mother or um, perhaps have severed relationship makes this day very difficult for you. We remember you as well and stand with you in prayer. One of my favorite hymn writers was a woman named Anne Steele. Anne was born the daughter of a Baptist pastor in England in 1717. She never had children. She never even married. But she left behind a legacy of hymns for the church that is nothing short of remarkable. She published her first hymnal in 1760, and the opening hymn in that work is entitled, Desiring to Praise God. And I'd like to read you just two verses from that hymn. This is like the female poet laureate of the Baptist church, okay? And this is what she writes. Almighty author of my frame, to thee my vital powers belong. Thy praise, delightful, glorious theme, demands my heart, my life, my tongue. Great God, accept the humble praise and guide my heart and guide my tongue. While to thy name I trembling raise the grateful, though unworthy song. You can hear the deep humility and love and reverence for God that Miss Steele had. Wanting to give praise to the Lord. One biographer wrote that Anne's usefulness to Christians far exceeded her fame. I doubt many of you know the name Anne Steele, but the hymns that she wrote ministered, he said, to many a sick bed and furnished the song in many a night of affliction. Well, it seemed fitting that as we look on this Mother's Day at the Word of God, we would look at another great woman hymn writer from Scripture whose words have also ministered to Christians and particularly to mothers and furnished the song that countless people have prayed through the years. Many of you will already be familiar with the story of Hannah from the Old Testament. Others will not. So before we look at the song she writes itself, I want to give you a bit of the story behind the song. Hannah was an Israelite woman who loved God, loved her husband, and wanted desperately to have children. Yet 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 5 says the Lord had shut her womb. At this period of history, it was never commanded by God, but customary of the people to have more than one wife. And so her husband, Elkanah, had another wife named Peninnah. 
and Peninnah bore many children. To make matters worse, she then mocked Hannah every day because she was barren, year by year. And so Hannah cried out to the Lord for a child. She promised that if God would give her a child, she would return it back to him, that it would be raised in the temple in the service of the Lord. Well, God answered her prayer and gave her a little boy named Samuel. Now that little boy, this baby, would grow to be that Samuel from the Old Testament, one of the greatest prophets Israel ever knew. This is a beautiful, redemptive story of an unlikely mother and a gracious God. Just before she breaks into song, she spoke words that are often read in child dedications like we had the privilege of celebrating this morning. 1 Samuel 1.27, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. The song of Hannah is one of the great hymns of praise and thanksgiving in the whole of Scripture. It was written from a woman whose heart deeply rejoiced in the Lord. The theme of her song is one of worshipful response to God for the gift he had provided her in the birth of his son. But the name Samuel is nowhere found in this song. Why? Because Hannah's thoughts, Hannah's heart, Hannah's song is entirely fixed on the Lord. This is a God-centered song through and through. And so this godly woman stands as an example to all of us today. So on this Mother's Day, I pray that this hymn of old would help us see the glory of God the way that Hannah saw God and would provide us language to join her in worshiping him this morning. So three thoughts shape our time together. First, rejoice in the Lord's salvation, verses 1 and 2. Second, give thanks for the Lord's providence. Verses 3 through 8, his surprising providence. And then third, trust in the Lord's promises, verses 9 through 10. So let me invite, if you would, to stand your feet as we now read together 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, the song of Hannah. This is God's holy and inerrant word. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart is exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There's no one holy like the Lord, for there's none besides you. There's no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, and the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. Those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. 
and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. The first section of this song calls us to rejoice in the Lord's salvation. The opening words explode with praise. My heart exalts in the Lord. Now there's a lesson right there in that little phrase itself. To exult in something is to celebrate it, to rejoice in it. And even after she has experienced this supernatural gift of being given this child, after praying for one for so long. Hannah's rejoicing, Hannah's exulting is not rooted in her circumstance. It is found in her God. She traces every blessing back to the source of every blessing and exults in God alone. We might say that she was treasuring up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And of course she is. Look how personal this song is. Four times in verse one, she uses personal pronouns. My heart, my horn, my mouth, I rejoice. This is something that God had done in her, for her, and she rejoices in it. Now, the phrase, my horn is exalted, is a strange phrase for us. Uh, It's her using poetry to say, my strength is in the Lord. The idea seems to be that the animal's horn was viewed as its glory and its strength held high in triumph over the people it had had, uh, conquered. Well, here is a confession that her strength doesn't come from within, but from without. Her strength is wholly found in the Lord. Now, at first listen, this phrase, my mouth derides my enemies, it might sound a little bit vindictive, right? Like, I thought God was the audience of her song. Is she taking like a side glance over to Penina here? Like, how you doing, girl? No, that, that's not exactly what's happening here. And the Hebrew phrase is, my mouth is open wide against my enemies. That's literally what it says. And why is that important? Well, because it wasn't that long ago in the chapter that just precedes this one, chapter one, we find Hannah wept bitterly pleading with the Lord. Verse 10 of chapter 1. She was pouring out her heart to her God. Chapter 1, verse 15. She was questioning what God was doing in her life. God, why, did, why am I experiencing so much suffering? Yet her doubts didn't push her from the truth. They pushed her toward it. Her questions didn't pull her from her God, but they pulled her close. This is as I often encourage us, let's be a people who take our doubts to the truth and bring the truth to our doubts. So Hannah's mouth is open wide in praise to her God, even in the presence of her enemies. He had rescued her in every way. She's known her salvation. 
And notice at the very end of three, I rejoice in your salvation. She's not rejoicing in anything that she's done or even in the wonderful fruit of this baby. She is rejoicing in the salvation of the Lord. So can we just pause for a moment and a quick application for moms on this Mother's Day. We don't want to lose sight of the whole life of Hannah, this woman of God. She did not float through life singing, carefree. She struggled. She wept bitterly. She mourned. Yet, the last word is rejoice. So don't hang your head in shame on days that you're in the first condition, where your life looks like 1 Samuel chapter 1. Rather, allow those moments of sorrow and questions that go unanswered to lead you closer to your God, to pull you close to him. Oh, yeah, and don't forget to rejoice. Uh, In the words of one man, he said, rejoice, rejoice, and again I say, rejoice. rejoice. Because, Christian, the fount of your joy never runs dry. Because it's not in the consequences or circumstances of this life to begin with. Your joy is found in Jesus. And his supply never runs dry. The second section of the song, Hannah is giving thanks to the Lord's for the Lord's surprising providence, verses 3 through 8. Okay, so she has fixed her gaze on God. Her heart is rejoicing in him. And then Hannah pulls into frame who it is that she's rejoicing in. She wants you and I to know who God is. Three times in verse 2, she says, there's no one like him. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. She begins telling of his Holiness, and in holiness, no one is like our God. He is completely set apart in every single way. Second, this middle phrase is uh, where there's the main crux of this. There's no one like him, but this is actually an echo of what we studied some weeks ago in the song of Moses. In Exodus 15, 11, Moses led the people in singing, Who is like you, O Lord, majestic in holiness, Awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders. So here's Moses' question. Who is like you, O Lord? Here's Hannah's answer. No one. No one at all. The third thing she says about them is that there's no rock like our God. Reminding us that the Lord is the only one capable of providing protection and security in this life. Not wealth. Not any government, not an army, only the Lord. From here, she sweeps the leg of all who would boast before God as if they are somehow in control of anything, much less their own lives. You see her warning? Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. What do you know that God doesn't already know? And here she contrasts the wisdom of man with a great, glorious knowledge of God. In verses 4 through 8, she sings of the wisdom and divine providence of the Lord 
in every affair of mankind. She tells how God accomplishes all of his purposes in incredibly surprising ways, which run counter to human expectations. The things we expect to happen in this world, they don't happen. Why? Because God is in charge of it. There are seven wonderful themes that I would encourage you to explore in this throughout the week. Uh, They can be categorized as, or labeled, divine reversals that Hannah sings of. With each of them, they cause surprise because this isn't the way that we immediately understand the world. This isn't the way we immediately live in the world. We hear different messages like, the rich get richer, we hear. But this tells us not of their own accord. No one gains a penny apart from the providence of God. We believe, our culture says, well, once you build your career and have enough cash in the bank and you're pretty established, then then nothing can touch you. Get to the place where nothing can touch you. But these verses tell us that we haven't been given anything that hasn't first come from the Lord. And at any moment, he can take it all away. Because he is God and we are not. We hear all around us in advertising, if you just focus on yourself, on your wellness, and the message really is you can live forever. I mean, no one says that, but isn't that what they're selling? No, says the Lord. I will determine how long you live. So people walk around with pride. This is what Hannah's saying. She looks at the world, and she sees people walking around with pride that they have it all figured out. And Hannah says, no, don't be so arrogant. The wisdom of God is what ordains and orchestrates all things, including your life. Nothing else. There's no higher power than him. The heart of the matter is found in two places, I think, in these verses. First, in verse 6, we see it's the Lord who is sovereign over life and death itself. This is a massive scope and span of what God is in charge of. If he's in charge of your birth and your death, he's in charge of everything in the middle. He's the God who has ordained all of your days from before you were born. The God who's in control over all affairs. So, of course, if he's in charge of life and death itself, then it makes perfect sense. He's in charge of strength and weakness and feast and famine and homes that are filled with children and homes that are not. God has orchestrated it all. Well, how do we know all of this? Look at verse 8. Because the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. What a statement that is. God set the earth on its foundation. He breathed into existence everything that exists. When Hebrews 1.3 says that everything is held together by the power of his word. And so this world is full, brimming over with surprising providence and divine reversals, and every one of them are done at the pleasure of his will. That's the God she's singing of. That's the God that you and I were just singing of. The Lord is my salvation. That's your God. Why is this good news? Why is this ancient text 
this song, which could be sung about lots of things, why is it so focused, gives so much space to how God accomplishes his purposes in amazing ways, which run counter to human expectation? Because God is teaching his people what he is like. And today, as we open this text, God is teaching us what he is like. You may have already heard something that sounds, I don't think that's right. We want to hold all of our thoughts up to the word of God and then change our thinking everywhere we see that our thinking is wrong. There is nowhere we see the purposes of God unfold in a more surprising way than in the salvation that we've been given in Christ. These divine reversals are a foretaste of this upside-down kingdom that you and I are a part of, where the way to greatness is achieved through humility, where the way to the crown is through the cross, and the way to life is through death. And haven't we seen this in the gospel? Isn't that what we've been given in Jesus? Let's think about some of these reversals we see, how he satisfies the hungry. Well, weren't you hungry for forgiveness when you came and tasted of Christ? And now you never will hunger again. The Bible says our our fathers and mothers ate manna in the wilderness, but God, our Father, has given us true bread from heaven that satisfies. Jesus says in John 6.33 that I am the bread of life, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. So in Christ, if you're a Christian, you've been satisfied in him. Now you just got to live out of that. Well, there's more. He places us in a supernatural family. We see here that the barren has born seven. That's the number of perfection in Hebrew poetry and the way the Bible likes to talk. But she who has many children is forlorn. That means that those children she had are actually taken away. But haven't we been placed in a supernatural family? I I heard two uh, close friends of mine uh, talking to one another as I was walking beside them this week. One sharing with the other how thankful he was for the body of Christ. Because there he's found such kindred relationships, even stronger than his own family. Because... Uh, The community we share in Christ is thicker than blood. We share more in common than a last name. We have participated in Christ, adopted into his family, chosen by God. How about this? I want to think about these these three things. I said there were seven. We've touched on a couple already. I want to just group these three things because as I was working through this this week, I couldn't stop hearing the words of Paul. So he gives life, he lifts the lowly, and he makes rich. He gives life, he lifts the lowly, he makes rich. Now, listen to how Paul summarizes these gospel gifts in Ephesians chapter 2. This is verses 4 through 7. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Who did that? God did. God, if you're in Christ, God brought you to life in Christ. He's lifted us, raised us up. Remember we said he lifts the lowly? Raised us up with him and seated us with him 
in heavenly places. Now, this here says that he lifts them to make them sit with princes. But you and I aren't just sitting with princes. We're seated in the presence of Christ himself, the King of Kings, so that in the coming ages, he, God, might show the immeasurable riches of his grace, riches of his grace. Who's more wealthy than us? No one. In Christ, we've been given everything. The world doesn't think this way, but you and I do, because our minds have been made new by the word of God. Our hearts transformed by the good news of God. So brothers and sisters, we are the thankful recipients of the Lord's surprising providence. So just really quick, what surprising providence are you thankful for today? What have you received from the kindness of our God that you're thankful for today? Something you didn't deserve. And what are you thankful for that you wanted so bad, but in the kindness of God, he hasn't given to you? We can be thankful for those things too. Why? Because we worship, we know a good God whose heart is for us in what he gives, and he's good in what he does not give. We can trust those things and give thanks to them. That moves us well into the third point. Finally, Hannah sings with trust in the Lord's promises, verses 9 and 10. Now, the world of the Bible, the world that Hannah lived in, is not a make-believe place. It's the same world that you and I live in today. And all of those who war against God will one day stand before their maker and be judged. God will right every wrong. God will wipe away every tear. God will make all the sad things come untrue. And in the humble song of this young mother, Hannah foresees God's involvement would culminate in two things, the judgment of his enemies and the security of his people. Now, the first sermon we ever um, did here at the trails was on Psalm 1. And I told you we would never be far from Psalm 1. And I see it right here. The tale of two paths. The way of the blessed and the way of the wicked. One resulting in life, one resulting in judgment. And that is exactly what Hannah sings of here. Now, I want to just push pause. We've got to think through this again. So if you look back, verse 1 to one and 2 specifically is... Um, and particularly in one, Hannah is looking backward. These are things that God has already done, okay? God has already shown her his salvation. And then really what we see in two through eight, these are things that are always going to be. These are present things. The verb tenses is there is no one. Talk no more so very proudly. These are like present perfect things that are always happening. And then in verse nine, the future or the tenses change again now to the future. So now he says, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones. So let me ask, if God is sovereign over all things, and these two, these two realities await people, either judgment or security, how can we find security in a world that we do not control? Good question. Only in God. We trust the one who is in control of it all. Verse 9 is a 
sturdy comfort for us. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. The faithful ones represent all who love the Lord and walk according to his word. The Lord will guard them because they are his very own. The Lord will guard your life. He will keep you. The feet sung of represent the whole life, how they live and move and breathe in this world. He will not let them stumble or fall. He will uphold them. He holds us in the hollow of his hand, never to let us go. He will not let us fall, but he keeps our lives secure. So there's the great comfort in this final passage. Yet the wicked is also present in this song of praise. Just like we see in the Psalms during the summer, the wicked are always present. They're not forgotten. God cannot just sweep their sin under a rug. Rather, they will come under the sure and swift judgment of the Lord. The wicked shall be cut off in darkness. It says also that the Against him he will thunder in heaven. Again, this poetic imagery used to show how severe God's judgment will be. Sounds a lot like the way of the wicked will perish. She then goes on to sing of how God is the righteous judge of all the ends of the earth, saying that there's nowhere in creation, no person that will escape the judgment of God. And so the enemies of God should tremble with fear. I wonder if any of you are still enemies with God apart from Christ this morning. These kind of passages are meant to warn you. They're meant to make you tremble with fear so that you would fear rightly in the holy God. You would trust him as your salvation. But for those of us who are in Christ, this judgment is not meant to shake us to our knees or make us tremble. It's meant to bolster confidence and strength in us because ultimately we have nothing to fear when Christ returns to judge. Why? Because every sin that you've committed has already been judged. This is what Christ accomplished for you on the cross. The judgment has been paid in full. The price for your sin paid in full. The consequence of your sin Paid by Christ, not by you. And so we can look forward to this coming judgment when God will right the wrongs in the earth and he will have perfect justice in the world. Okay, the last two lines of this song are remarkable. Like the good, like a, a good hymn, the final verse has got to be just next level. And here's what Hannah does. She has saved the best for last. Now, she doesn't know all of the details at this point, she doesn't know his name, yet she looks into the future of what God is going to do, and these two words surface, king and anointed. King and anointed. We're going to deal with them one by one. First, king. Now, wait a minute, Boswell. I've read the Bible long enough to know there's not a king in Israel when Hannah is singing this song, and you would be right. There is no king yet. However, it would be Hannah's own son, Samuel, who would anoint the first king in Israel and the second king, David. So as a matter of fact, 
the rest of the book of 1 Samuel is basically God answering the question of the identity of this king that God would give his people. It's a very important word in the word of God. So king, hang on to that. And there, there's another word. Notice the very last word of the hymn. In Hebrew, it's the Mosheah. We would translate that Messiah. Your Bible probably says anointed. So not only is this prophesied person going to be the king, but the Messiah king. She's looking way down the corridor of church history into the future. She can't see it all. But she prophesies through this song, there's a king Messiah, a Messiah king that is going to come. You see, the ultimate king to come was announced to another young Jewish mother who also supernaturally conceived of a child. And God announced to her that she would deliver the coming Messiah king. And she sings like Hannah did. And the angel told her that his name would be Jesus. And he would deliver his people from their sins. And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And then she became a hymn writer. She sings. The first words out of her mouth are, My soul magnifies the Lord. Hannah says, My heart exalts in the Lord. And Mary sings, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Hannah says, I rejoice in your salvation. And Mary goes on to sing, for he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And like Hannah, the great thing that God had done in and, Mary, in and through Mary's life, it wasn't about her. It was about God redeeming for himself a people who would be called by his name, who would be his treasured possession, his kingdom of priests, a people that he so desperately loves. So as we think about this hymn of Hannah, we see in her personal account of knowing God's salvation that he is the God of her past. And in speaking forth the sovereignty and surprising providence of God, she confesses he's the God of her present and she looks forward to the coming Messiah King, and she acknowledges he is the God of her future, yet not only for her, but for all the people of God. Brother and sister, he is the God of your past. So if you're in Christ, rejoice in your salvation. He is the God of your present. So give thanks for his surprising providence in your life the things he's given you, the things he has withheld. And trust in every promise of his word, what he has said he will do. And continue to trust until he returns or calls us home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for our sister Hannah who has led us in worship, who has put before us a massive vision of who you are. Let us be a people centered on your glory as she was. And let remembrance fuel continued rejoicing even as we walk through dark and 
sorrow-filled circumstances in life. And let us be a people who give thanks for all that you've done and all that you will do. And let us trust, oh God, let us be a faith-filled people standing on your word. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.